0: The, uh, the scriptures that we're going to use today are all found from thirty-seven, chapter 37 of Genesis through chapter 50. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at the story of, of uh, Joseph. Now, do we have? Yeah, there's the chart. You can see that uh, Leah was the first one to give birth. So Reuben is the oldest. This is in order of age. Reuben's the oldest, and then Simeon and Levi and Judah... Uh, and that's the four first ones from Leah, his wife. And then Bilhah, Rachel's servant, gave birth to Dan and Nephtali. And uh, Zilpah, I don't know, Bilhah and Zilpah sound like they might have been sisters or something. Uh, but uh, then uh, Zilpah gave Gad and Asher birth. And then Leah came back with two more, Issachar and Zebulun. It was like they were in a competition. And then Rachel finally gave birth to the last two, Joseph and his brother Benjamin, and died in childbirth with Benjamin. So that is the reason, um, on the surface at least, that Jacob uh, was preferential toward Joseph. Uh, Rachel was his first choice. Remember, he got tricked into marrying Leah. So Rachel was his first choice, and when she finally gave birth to a child, that was automatically his favorite. So apparently... You know, Jacob had issues with uh, preferential treatment and favoritism that uh, he may have learned uh, from his mother, um, from the treatment that she gave him over Esau. You remember that? So from the human point of view, Joseph was hated by his family, sold as a slave, jailed under false pretenses, and then from God's point of view, Joseph was right where he was supposed to be to fulfill God's purpose for him. So sometimes when we're going through all this rough stuff, we kind of scratch our heads and say, where's God? But God is in it all and through it all, weaving it together for his purpose and for his plan. And we're going to talk about that today, about the purpose and the plan of God in the midst of all this turmoil. So... If we read uh, just a short passage, Genesis 37, uh, 2 through 5, it says, These are the records of the generations of Jacob, Joseph, and Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing a flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Remember, we saw those, right? So we know that those, who those four were from the chart. His father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to the father. How to win over your brothers. Huh? How to win over your stepbrothers. Bring back a bad report, rat them out. You know? Hey, dad, you know that these guys were, were sloughing off on their job as shepherds? Yeah, that's really a good way to get in with your stepbrothers, right? Especially the, the one that was the youngest and already known as the one who was preferred above the others. So then Jacob adds to this. And uh, it says in verse three. Now Israel, who is Jacob, Joseph uh, loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a colored or multicolored tunic, the coat of many colors. Right? We've all heard that story from Sunday school. Um, actually, I remember it in flannel graphs. The little guy sticking up there. Uh, <laughs> a couple of you have nodded with the flannel graphs. That we're dating ourselves. Uh, Because he was the son of his old age, Joseph gave him this gift of a multicolored tunic, which just made him stand out all the more to his brothers who were already jealous of him. And so he had these brothers who he had ratted out, and now his father gives him this special coat to make him stand out. And then his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated him. And they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more whole lot of hating going on, right? And this is not the first time, by the way. If you read earlier, a little bit earlier in this whole passage, you'll see that that, the second time that uh, Joseph went out is when he got sold into slavery. He was out there again to his brothers, right? And he'd already ratted them out one time. And so when he sent him another time out there, that's when they nabbed him. So let's talk about Joseph and this Pitt experience. Um, From Pitt, we're going to start out there. This is about partiality and personality, also known as favoritism. We're going to look at partiality and personality and favoritism. Those things still exist today, don't they? Hmm? Anybody seen partiality in action? Favoritism in action? Yeah. Well... It happened back then. Jacob, apparently, as I said, hadn't learned his lesson about uh, favoritism from his experience with Esau. Everybody remember the story of Jacob and Esau, how Jacob and Esau's mom helped him deceive his father Isaac for the blessing. pastor talked about that. So Jacob didn't learn anything out of that, that that probably wasn't a good idea. So he tried the same kind of thing with his son Joseph and tried to set him up for favoritism. One of the issues with that is Joseph was 17. You know, he didn't have, at that point, a lot of discretion. He'd been brought up as the baby, and at, at that point he, he knew he was the favorite. And so when he had these other experiences, he lacked wisdom in sharing what God had shared with him. Sometimes we do that too. Sometimes we lack wisdom in sharing what God has shared with us. I had to learn that from the pulpit a few times. Sometimes I shared stuff from the pulpit that I really probably wasn't supposed to share because the people weren't ready to hear it and I wasn't ready to deliver it. And maybe my delivery caused as much stir as the unpreparedness of the people's hearts. And so we have to be careful because there is wisdom in not sharing all that we know. Say that again. There is wisdom in not sharing... All that we know. There is a time to speak and a time to shut up. I'm kind of paraphrasing Ecclesiastes 3 there. But <laughs> there, there is really a time when we need to keep our mouth shut. We have to have a filter there. God blesses us and gives us something in our hearts, and there are places and people that we should share that with, and places and people and times when we should not share that. There's wisdom in not sharing all that we know. Joseph also learned that there is wisdom in not sharing all that we know with the wrong audience. Sharing his dream with his brothers was probably not the smartest thing to do. Right? He says, oh, by the way, you guys that hate me so much for having this special coat and being dad's favorite, here's my dream. You're all going to bow down to me. Hey. That went over real big with his brothers. So there's wisdom in knowing your audience, knowing who you're talking to. You've got to know your audience. Finally, it says, there is wisdom in not sharing all we know until the right time. When Joseph shared with his brothers at the end here uh, in chapter 50, they were ready to receive it at that point. At this point in chapter 37, they were not ready to receive it. There's a time and a place. Again, Ecclesiastes. There's a time and a place for things. And that time when they were so jealous, he had ratted them out. He had his coat. He was dad's favorite. That was the setup for them to hate him and hate him intensely. It was not a good time for him to share, oh, by the way, I'm going to rule over you. And at one point, he even shared about the sun and the moon bowing down, and then Jacob got upset with him. Even his father, who had set him up to so much favoritism, said, wait a minute now, that's a little bit too far when you get me in there. So favoritism does not work. And here's what God's Word says about favoritism. Look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. God doesn't show favoritism, period. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. I I put it down in like four different versions just so we could get the the idea and the understanding because this is something some people want to argue. that, Oh yeah, but God's got favorites. No, No, he loves us all the same. Here's what Romans 2.11 says. For there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. That means that just because Pastor Mark and I carry an ordination card in our pockets doesn't mean that we're God's special people. That's not a multicolored tunic. God loves everyone in this room exactly the same. And the good news is, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and loved us just the same then as he does now. And so if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know him as my Savior. Guess what? He still loves you right where you are. There's no partiality with God. God loves saints and God loves sinners. Another version in NIV in, in, in the New Living Te- uh, Testament says, for God does not show favoritism. Is that pretty plain? God does not show... Sometimes, you know, we've we got to hear it a few different ways to, to begin to get it to sink down in. There is no respect of persons from the King James Version. You know, as a kid, I kind of wondered what that meant, but these other versions kind of clarify that. And then the final version from the Phillips Translation, for there is no preferential treatment with God. So every one of us in here have the same opportunity with God to experience His love, His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy. No one of us is head and shoulders above the others as far as receiving from God what He has for us. It's our response to Him that determines the amount that we receive. Not Him. And Not only does God not show partiality, but neither should we. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, which we're going to be starting on Wednesday night, by the way, James says, My brothers, do not hold your faith in our gracious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Another version from Mount says, My brothers, stop showing favoritism as you live out your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third version I put there, the the New Living Translation, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? There's another example in, in the scripture that talks about having someone come up on the platform in a place of honor then being replaced by someone else who comes in of greater honor. It's just an embarrassing fiasco all the way around. One thing I really appreciate about this church is that we don't play favorites. You know? If if I've ever seen a humble pastor, it's Mark Davis. He doesn't put himself, you know, above the rest of us. And hopefully we as staff don't do that either. That we're approachable. We let you know we're on the same travel trail as you are. We're on the same trail toward Jesus Christ that you are. We may have been on a little bit longer, but that doesn't give us preferential treatment, and that doesn't cause us to puff up our chest and say, look at me. It's only by the grace of God. It's only through the love of Jesus Christ. And so we come together as one on an equal playing field. And guess what? Don't just say, well, because Pastor Mark is the pastor, you know. No. Every one of us sitting in this room has a heavenly mission, has a purpose in the kingdom of God. And it's not just to sit in the chair on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. You have a purpose in the kingdom of God. You don't know what that is? Stick with it. God will show you. God will show you. Joseph thought he knew what it was, and he kind of blabbed it a little bit too soon, premature, you know. But God has a plan for every one of us in this room. There is no favoritism. There are no special people. If you're his, if you're his child, he has a plan for you. And his plan is great and gracious and wonderful. And he will fit you in where he wants you to be. He will enable you and equip you to do what he calls you to do. And you say, well, I'm not called. Yes, you are. We are all called. Some of us are not called to have this certificate on our wall that says ordained. Some of us are not called to stand in a pulpit and and teach or preach. But every one of us are called. When I was first dealing with the call in my life, my pastor began to talk to me about that and deal with me. I was was a teenager too. I was about Joseph's age. And, And one of my first assignments was cleaning toilets on, on Saturday so that the church would be ready on Sunday. I would go to the church and vacuum the church, straighten up all the hymnals. Back then we actually had hymnals. Uh, and, and we would, uh, you know, straighten all the hymnals up, vacuum everything, and clean the toilets and the bathrooms and make sure everything was ready for Saturday. That was my training in ministry. And God enabled me through that to realize whatever I do, I do as unto the Lord. And it doesn't matter what level other people may view it as. You view it as serving him and doing what he has provided you the opportunity and the skill to do. I had the skill to clean the toilet. You know, I hadn't gone to Bible college. I hadn't done any kind of training, any kind of word studies or anything like that. I was you know, just there and say, okay, Lord, I, I know that you're calling me to do something. Now what? And guess what? It was cleaning toilets. And that was okay. Because through that, he taught me some lessons that I needed for later on down the road. So, what lesson do we learn from this? We should not confuse favoritism with God's unmerited favor. There's a difference. There's a difference between favoritism and God's unmerited favor. Anybody know what unmerited favor? What the one word translation for that is? Grace. grace. There you go. Unmerited favor. Ge- grace. There's grace in the Old Testament. Did you know that? There's actually grace in the Old Testament. So we should not confuse favoritism with God's grace, God's unmerited favor. That's not favoritism. So we talk about him going to prison. <laughs> now you remember the setup. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He wound up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was like the head of the secret service. He was on Pharaoh's personal uh, protection detail. And so the head of the secret service for Pharaoh is where Joseph wound up. He was in his house and his servant. And there's some interesting thing that the scripture says here about, uh, about Joseph and Potiphar. Look at uh, 39 verse 3. It says this, For Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord had caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight. Joseph found favor in his sight. That's grace. That's grace. There's something here about the fact that Joseph was in a foreign land, a slave, and yet God... Provided him favor. We can find ourselves in uncomfortable situations that are out of our control. That's what a slave is, right? Things were not in his control. But who was in control? Who was sovereign? And so God gave him favor. He no longer had a special coat to give him favor. He no longer had his dad looking out for him to give him favor. But it says God gave him favor with Potiphar. And so when we find ourselves in the enemy's camp, when we find ourselves and things that are out of our control, guess who is still in control? God. God is still in control. So we see here that he, he allowed himself to uh, be in a situation with Potiphar's wife that was a setup. And Potiphar's wife set him up to the point to where you know, she was after him and after him and after him. And uh, he ran out of the house, and she grabbed his coat and held on to it and then claimed, you know, he was trying to molest me. He was trying to attack me. False accusations. False accusations sometimes happen in our lives. We can be in God's favor. We can be where God has put us to be for his purpose and still find false accusations leveled against us. I'll get to that more in a little bit. So as a result of all that, Potiphar comes home, throws him in jail. Guess what happens in jail? Chapter 39, verses 21 and following. We're talking about the chief jailer now. But the Lord was with Joseph in jail and extended kindness to him and gave him favor again in the sight of the chief jailer. God's grace was there in the jail. Under false accusations, imprisoned under false charges, God's grace was still with him. Do we hear that for ourselves? Can we know God is no respecter of person. What he's done for Joseph, he will do for any one of us in this room. So when we find ourselves in uncomfortable places, in slavery, in places that are out of our control, under charges that are not legit, God's grace will be with us. Can we hear that today? Do we have ears to hear? Verse 23, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Do we hear who did it? Did Joseph do it? No. The Lord gave him grace and favor. The Lord made what he did to prosper. And so in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the times when things are out of control and we've been falsely accused and we're under all this pressure, God never abandons us. He is with us in the midst of the trial. He's with us in the midst of the prisons. He's with us in the midst of times that are totally out of our control. And he takes influence where it needs to be, where we cannot do anything about. The favor of God is primarily promotion for good and protection from evil. Can we hear that? The favor of God is primarily promotion for good and protection from evil. And let me explain that a little bit more. The favor of God is primarily promotion for good and protection from evil because God's favor will promote you in the presence of your enemies. God's favor will promote you in the presence of your enemies. That person at work that's always in your face and ragging on you and and barking at you, God can still provide favor in the midst of that. And look what happens. The pagan saw what his family couldn't see. Some of you who have maybe separated yourselves from from your family from past behaviors, maybe past indiscretions, past poor wisdom being shared, or past things that have happened, and and you've separated yourself, sometimes God will give insight to the pagans around you that your own family can't see about you. Your own family will see you through the filter of the experience that they were raised with you and watching you as a child. God sees you for the potential in you to fulfill His promise. You understand? God sees in you the potential to fulfill the purpose of the kingdom that you are here for. Not on your past, not on all the mistakes, not on all the wrong choices, but on His purpose. God's favor doesn't guarantee immunity from attack. Just because God gives you favor doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to try to attack you. He's going to attack. But the promise is that he will protect. He will protect us. And even in the midst of the attack, he can turn it around and make it out for good, which we will find out in the ending verses of this passage. So don't give up. Don't be discouraged. God's favor doesn't guarantee immunity from attacks. Sometimes personal integrity can get you fired and thrown in jail. That's what happened to Joseph. His personal integrity got him fired and thrown in jail. I've had occasions when my personal integrity got me in trouble with my bosses too. I'll give you a quick example, not because of me, but because of what God did through this. When I was in Korea... Our CO, the the base CO, was bringing prostitutes in through the back gate for the sailors when they would come in, uh, when the ships would come into port. And so he was the son of a Baptist minister, by the way, just as an aside. But uh, I I went down to his office and talked to him about that and said, Captain, you know this is morally uh, wrong and it's against Navy regulations if you want to go that way. He threw me out of his office. And so the next time another ship came in and the prostitutes were coming in, I went back down there again. And I said, Captain, it's still wrong. You know, so He threw me out again. The third time it happened, I went down there, this time the XO, the number two in charge, met me and said, you can't see the captain. I said, oh, really? Navy regulations says the chaplain has direct access to the CO. He said, no, you're, you're done. So. That was, that was pretty much the end of my career. That was a, a career killer, because he's the one that writes my evaluations <laughs> for promotions and stuff. And so as a result of that, I got out of the Navy. But guess where I went out of the Navy? To prison. You say, well, what? I was a federal prison chaplain for 20 years as a result of being booted out of the Navy for that. God can take situations and circumstances That seem wrong. And when you stand in the personal integrity of God's word, you may pay a price, but you will find God's favor. That's what I want you to hear. And what he did for me, he would do for any one of us. When we stand for what God tells us to do, the consequences may be there, but God has greater reward. That's quiet. (laughs) The consequences may come when you stand for personal integrity and stand true to the truth of God's Word. And in today's world, that may be more true than ever. As unpopular as the truth of God's Word is now. But I tell you this, that God will reward and overwhelm the circumstances. He will reward you beyond and put you in a place of even greater responsibility, and greater opportunity. That's who our God is. And guess what? It's not because of favoritism. It's not because of who I was or what I did. It's because of who God is. It's because of who God is. And he doesn't respect people. He doesn't have favorites. He did it for me. He would do it for any one of you. Hmm. That was a weak amen, but thank you. We believe it. God will do that for you. Oh, dear. God's favor will protect us. Listen to this one. God's favor will protect you through inconvenient circumstances and promote you from unexpected sources. Hmm? God's favor will protect you through inconvenient circumstances and promote you from unexpected sources. See, a lot of times what I try to do and I think many of us do is we try to figure out what's God's next move. We try to figure out, okay, God, how are you going to figure this out and and make this come out to good? And then we, we promote that idea of what we come up with. And while we're waiting, God is working behind the scenes to bring good out of it. Which we will find out again when we get to the end in Genesis 50 and Romans 8, how God works those things together. You see, the, law, the sovereign Lord's purpose will be done. The sovereign Lord's purpose will be done. No matter how much the enemy tries to interfere, no matter how much the enemy tries to bring the false charges, no matter how the enemy may try to bring circumstances and people against you, God has your back. And He is the Sovereign Lord. That means He has the final word. He has the final word. Circumstances don't have the final word unless we allow them to. If we are overwhelmed by our circumstances, that's not God. We have to have faith and confidence in Him. All right. So we should be aware then of God's purpose for unmerited favor. We've talked about from pit, the partiality and personality, the favoritism. We've talked about to the prison, where there's promotion and protection, that is favor or grace. Now we're going to talk about the palace, where there's preservation and purpose for a favorable outcome. You see, God has a reason behind all of it. He has a reason for all of it. There's a favorable outcome in your future when you hang with God. There is a favorable outcome in your future when you hang with God. Don't allow circumstances, situation, people, places, or things to interfere with your vision of God's purpose for you. His purpose for you is good. His purpose for you is favor and a favorable outcome. And he will make it happen because he is the sovereign Lord. <laughs> we should be aware of God's purpose for unmerited favor. Joseph went to the palace after that because of the dream. You remember the, he was jailed with the chief, uh, the, the chief jailer there and the baker and, and so forth. And they had dreams and, and he brought that to them. And uh, Pharaoh executed one of them. That was part of the dream. But then the, the one guy, the cupbearer, survived. And so he was in Pharaoh's presence when this dream that Pharaoh had came up that nobody could interpret. And so he said, hey, you know, I knew this guy in jail um, that could do that. And so they sent for Joseph. Now, that was, of course, all coincidental, right, that uh, the, the cupbearer was in jail at the same time that Joseph was, and that Joseph was in jail to begin with. You see, sometimes we're in the midst of bad circumstances, and we don't realize that we're still where God wants us to be. Sometimes we're in the roughest places, but we're still where God wants us to be. We're going through hard lessons. And we say, oh, God, can I please get this test over with? But God wants us there for his purpose. God's schemes are a lot more elaborate than our little tiny minds can grasp. It's, it's, it's the finite trying to grab hold of the infinite. You know? It's, it's God's plans... Are far. God has plans for us that we just cannot know. His ways are beyond our finding out. That's where trust comes in. That's where faith comes in. And so when we look at this, we see that this dream interpretation that the cupbearer told Pharaoh about brought Joseph out of the jail and into Pharaoh's presence. And when Pharaoh saw what Joseph could do, guess what? Again, God granted Joseph favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the absolute power of Egypt. There was nobody above him. But suddenly, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. He went from being the prisoner to being the advisor to Pharaoh. From being the lowest in the prison to being the number two in the land. Pharaoh gave him some awesome power. He told him, anything you say is like me saying it. The only thing that happens is I can override you, but other than that, you go and do. And he gave Joseph charge of the coming storage for the time when the crops would uh, flourish and the times when the crops would fail. For a time when the cattle would flourish and the times when the cattle would fail. And so Joseph was put in charge of this survival. He was like the emergency management guy. And he was in charge of all the storehouses and all the things. And it says in the scripture that everybody had to come through Joseph in order to get food. And everything was ordered so that a certain percentage of everything that they harvested in cattle and crops and whatever went into the storehouse for the famine years. That's wise. Sometimes we don't see that kind of wisdom in the way we live our lifestyle. Sometimes we burn it all up and don't plan for the day of famine. But that's another message altogether. I'll let Brian do that because that's more on finances and stuff. But look at uh, Genesis chapter 50. This is the verse that uh, we always look at in verse 20. When Joseph was put in prison, finally, after all that time, the famine started, and the famine had been going a couple of years. When his brothers showed up from, from Palestine, from where he was with, with his father Jacob, his brothers came down because they heard that Egypt had a plan and had a storehouse. And so they came begging for food. There's a whole thing there in an the interchange where they planted gold and they did all these little tricks and stuff like that. But bottom line is Joseph took care of his family because they had sold him into slavery. He didn't take revenge, he took pleasure in helping. Hmm. To me, Genesis 50-20, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it, that's his purpose, for good, in order to bring about the present result, to preserve, which is his purpose, many people alive. Do you see God's purpose? Good and preservation. That's what God's purpose. Good and preservation. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That was His purpose in allowing all this and orchestrating all this to happen. None of this surprised God. I've shared that with you before. We cannot surprise God, He already knows, the Scripture says, the end from the beginning. And since he knows every second and every decision and every choice that we will ever make, he orchestrates things according to his will and purpose. And it says his will and purpose is good. And his will and purpose is preservation of life. Salvation is another word that can be substituted for that preservation. Salvation. And so we find when Paul writes the letter to Rome, he includes very, very similar language in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Sound familiar? To the, those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Does that sound like a parallel to you, to Genesis fifty twenty? I think Paul had that verse in mind when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that down. These are parallel passages. Paul says it's still in effect. He's still the same God. His purposes will be fulfilled and his purpose is good. His purpose is salvation. So, God's preserving purpose then is this. God, through all these things that we go through, through all these trials and tests, these setbacks and setups that we go through and put ourselves through sometimes, God's preserving purpose is to be seen as the source of favor. He wants to be seen as the source of favor. And favor is what? Grace. Grace. And what is grace? It's a gift. It's not earned. It's a gift. God wants to be seen as the source of favor. Not favoritism and not manipulation. That's our schemes. Isn't it? (laughs) Our scheme is always to try to get, you know, be somebody's, Favorite. There's a phrase for that, but I won't use it. Uh, to, to, you know, at work, you know the guy that wants to always uh, be right behind the boss and echoing everything the boss says and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we know who he is. <clears throat> and we have certain labels for that person. But, uh, you know, God's purpose is to be seen as the source of favor, not kissing up to the boss. Hmm? And not manipulating people, not trying to manipulate circumstances. Guess what? When we try to manipulate people and manipulate circumstances, we are going at cross purposes to what God wants us to do. Because God wants to be the source of our favor, not our little ingenuity and in what we think is best. We can have all the plans and have it all worked out in detail and have a, you know, a diagram and everything. But if it's a cross purpose with what God has for our lives, it's going to fail and it's going to cost. But God says, if you want true favor, I'm the source. If you have a relationship with God, you are at the source of true favor. Unmerited favor that has already been paid for at the cross. God wants to be seen at preserving his purpose as the source of life not our birthright, not our place in society, not success, but God as the source of life. Now there's a lot of talk about prosperity, mostly to generate offerings to, well, I won't go there, but uh, there's a lot of talk about prosperity, but God defines prosperity a lot differently than what a lot of us in our human flesh try to define prosperity. God's prosperity is life with Him. God's prosperity is life with Him. If we make Him our priority, if we look to Him as the source of our life, of all of our goods, of all of our needs, God is the source. All that other stuff will fall in the line. It's kind of like, you remember the word, seek you first the kingdom of... huh." And then all these other things will be added. That's God's plan of prosperity. You seek Him first as the source of life, you seek His kingdom first. All that other stuff will take care of itself. I'll leave that alone. His preserving purpose is also to be seen as the source of sovereignty, the source of sovereignty. Not self and not others. Sometimes we like to be little gods unto ourselves, don't we? We like to promote our own sovereignty. Now, we are usually not, you know, brash enough to proclaim that, but our decisions betray us. Hmm. We don't claim to be little gods, but sometimes we make ourselves little gods by the decisions we make that are across purposes directly to what his word tells us. We have to read the Word, to know the Word, to live by the Word. That's why James told us to be doers and not just hearers. That has to do with getting it into our lives to the point to where we understand what sovereignty is. It's His alone. His alone. My decisions better be in line with His, not the other way around. Sometimes we try to line up our decisions and say, okay, God, here's what I'm going to be doing now. Bless it. See, that's our sovereignty speaking out. But the Word says He is the sole source of sovereignty. And sometimes we try others to be the sovereignty in our lives. We think that, you know, oh, if I follow this person and do exactly what they're doing, then, you know, everything's going to line up. No. He is still the sovereign Lord. He has not relinquished his throne. He doesn't share his throne. He is the sovereign God. He wants us to understand. That's his purpose. And all of these things, the source of favor in life and sovereignty, is all about preservation. That's his purpose. And it leads us to this final thing, that he wants to be seen as the source of salvation that there is no other name by which we can be saved. He is the source of salvation. He is the one who will give us favor. He is the one who will give us life. He is the one who will provide sovereignty in our lives, and all of that works together for our good to preserve, to save our lives. Not just a little short breath of life that we have here, but for eternity And that's in Jesus Christ. That's what God is about. That's His purpose. His divine purpose is to preserve life. To offer to all of us the wonderful gift, the grace, the favor of His salvation. His plan of salvation is the only one. We can't do it by works. We can't earn gold stars by our names. As much as we try, you know, say, oh, look, God, look, I I did this and this and this and this. God says, okay, I I still love you the same as before you did all that. Hmm. We can't earn God's favor that way. He already loves us and favors us and has grace with us as much as he ever will. (laughs) Now, I believe what James says, that our faith will produce works our belief will come out, but that's a byproduct of that, not a way to generate it. You follow that? It's a byproduct, not a, not a way to generate it. And so we need to see him as the source of our salvation. Here's, here's the conclusion of the whole, the whole matter. And I kind of tried to get this all together so that we could see it. From the pit of partiality and personality, which is called favoritism, to the prison where promotion and protection takes place, that's called favor, to the palace where preservation and purpose are revealed, which brings favorable outcome of fulfilling God's purpose. Here's the conclusion of the matter. We can survive and even thrive while being an immature braggart like Joseph was. Sometimes, you know, that's, that's where we are. In other words, we screw up. We don't always use wisdom in dealing with ourselves and with others. We can wind up hated and betrayed by our own families even, sold into slavery, falsely accused and imprisoned, but we can still resist the temptation to seek retaliation and revenge. Instead, find in the midst of it all that God's favor and purpose for our life will not be thwarted. See, at the end, he had an opportunity to squash his brothers, to crush them. He set them up two or three times with a gold cup in the top of the bags where he could have imprisoned them all and just let it be like that if he was seeking revenge, if he was seeking retaliation. But God had already spoken to him about his purpose, and that was to preserve life, salvation. And so this is a picture of what God in our lives wants to do. No matter what poor choices we make, no matter what terrible circumstances we find ourselves in, when we put ourselves in God's hands and we trust in His grace, He will save. He will preserve. He will bring us through. And so today I offer that same grace to you Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever kind of trial you're going through, no matter what, if you've seen yourself take a step forward and become Potiphar's top servant to taking three steps back and find yourself in jail on false accusations, God is still with you. God still loves you. He loves us with our mistakes, with our hubris with our pride and arrogance to try to set ourselves up as little gods, he still loves us. And wherever you are, whatever you have done, hear this. God loves you. God has a purpose for you. And his purpose for you today is to save you and preserve your life and then use you in his kingdom to help bring others to that same realization. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. I pray that our hearts and minds will be open and our ears will be open to receive what the Spirit has said to us. And Lord, don't allow us just to shake it off as we leave the doors, but abide in us with your living word and bring back to our remembrance the scriptures that we have heard today and the truth that we have heard today. Challenge us as we try to work this thing out As we try to face these circumstances, as we try to make these choices, may we remember who the sovereign is and put our trust in you. For you are good. Your purposes are good. Your salvation is ready and offered to all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.